to St. John's Sermons, a podcast from St. John's Lutheran Church, North Prairie, Wisconsin, a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We offer this podcast with the loving encouragement to use it as a supplement to your own regular reception of the Lord's gifts of forgiveness and life in word and sacrament on the Lord's day. The Lord bless your hearing of these sermons. Matthew chapter 6, the next in our series on raising the bar um, from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So just who does this Jesus think he is? To tell people not to worry or not to be anxious. He may as well tell us not to breathe. Right? Anxiety and worry are a part of our everyday life. And for Jesus to come out and tell... I mean, actually, I think this is timeless. I, I think first century Jews were likely as much worry warts as you and I are. So for Jesus to kind of come out and say this, that, this uh, we, the, the, the height of this, the, the high bar of this comment, is pretty easy for even modern 21st century people to understand. Who does this guy think he is? 
that he can sit there and tell us, don't worry, don't be anxious. Now that might seem like a strange question. Who does he think he is to be able to say that? Because we're not used to talking about Jesus that way in church. But I ask that question because if you throw yourself into that first audience, that first audience that heard this sermon from start to finish, this question's already been on your mind for quite a while. Who does this man think he is? From really um, the place we heard three weeks ago when Mr. Ketterhagen preached on Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. All the way through last week, Jesus comes off with an authority that sounds like he's trying to suggest that he might be the Son of God or something. That first statement, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, was a a jaw dropper. It was a moment where the audience had to reckon with the fact that their spiritual superheroes were actually what Jesus wanted his disciples to be better than. Or at least that's what he was suggesting. And then in the next section, he really rifles through the Ten Commandments, through some of the toughest ones, like adultery, and the Eighth Commandment, and the Second Commandment, and how they intersect in terms of how we talk about God and about one another. And he raises the bar so high, So high that it becomes impossible, really, for us to think that it's even possible to be a disciple of Jesus. We need to almost throw ourselves in the mercy of the court by the end of Matthew 5, where Jesus finishes that whole long section of taking the Ten Commandments and sticking them on steroids and putting them far out of reach for any of us to to meet. And then he says, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you're part of that original crowd, once again, you're thinking, who is this man? This young preacher. This young new preacher prophet. Because this is the beginning of his ministry. This is his first sermon. Who does he think he is to talk to us that way? And last week's text, in the first part of Matthew 6, it's not so much that the standards he talks about in fasting and giving and praying are hard. They're really some of the easiest things he says. Praying in private is something that most good Lutherans are taught to do by their parents in childhood already. You kind of fold your hands, you bow your heads, and you don't make a big show of it. I can remember many nights when mom and dad came into my room and sat on my bed and helped me pray to go to bed. And it was just the three of us, and no one was looking for attention. But then he says, be like that and don't be like the hypocrites. And once again, the jaws drop. Because those who pray out on the street corners in order to be seen by men, those who give in order to be seen, and those who make a big show of their fasting are precisely the scribes and the Pharisees again. Our, I, I had wanted my oldest son to grow up to be a Pharisee. You're telling me that that's not a good standard to follow? Again, jaws drop. Who does this man think he is? And now he takes up anxiety and worry and says, don't. And if you're thinking of this in any kind of educated sort of way, 
even a sort of biblically literate sort of way. You know, you might have Jesus dead to rights on this one. Two weeks ago in the Passion reading, we heard about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And what was he doing? Sweating drops of anxious blood. Maybe he didn't practice what he preached. Worry will get you every time. You might think you're doing great with the Ten Commandments, but you know what? You worry. You worry, I worry. We all worry. That's just the way it is. As someone once said to me, it's a mother's prerogative to worry. As if it was part of the position description for a mother. Even Jesus had his anxious moments. Yes, he did. I'm sometimes struck when I have to preach a text that I've preached before by how much of that text I missed last time I preached it. Notice what Jesus tells us not to be anxious about here. He tells us not to be anxious about food and clothing. Physical things. The necessities of life. He has a wonderful way of saying it in here. There's a section in there from uh, verse the end of verse 26 uh, through uh, verse 28 where he rifles off five questions. And that, too, is kind of a rhetorical um, attack. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if you catch me asking four or five questions in a row, I can bet my bottom dollar that with every question I ask, you're getting more nervous. The questions themselves elicit anxiety. It's a rhetorical device. They elicit anxiety from the hearers. And I love the way he asks them. And the constructions are something like this. Um, he says something in effect of, uh, um, life is more than food and the body more than clothing, isn't it? That's sort of the way the construction operates. We have it as a whole question, but normally it comes out as an indicative statement. Life is more important than all those things. And then he throws the question on the end, isn't it? And there's a way in which that invites people in, but at the same time, it, it accuses and it brings people down, and the hearers are sitting there going, you know what, I do this, and, and now he's asking another question, now he's asking another question, and he's all the while he's telling me not to be anxious, and all I'm doing is getting more anxious, because I worry about these things. I worry about food, I worry about clothing, I worry about the basic necessities of life. And let me tell you, what was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane that night when Jesus was sweating anxious blood was not about the necessities of life. This was the basic battle of life itself. Good versus evil and the standoff that was going to win the battle, win the war once and for all. And I would argue, while it's not a sin to be anxious around the devil, we still have some good news to get to here before we contemplate that as well. Jesus' words here don't really apply much to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And if it was just one of those lonely, anxious hours where you are in the throes of temptation by the devil, I would argue, I understand your anxiety and I will never condemn it. But here, trusting in a God who's been consistent all the days of our lives, anxiety is not called for. The one who has won the victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. Who has won the victory over the greatest enemies that we have. Is the one who says, don't be worried about the rest. That's small stuff. To fully grasp this section is to understand that if the food is not there. And the cupboard is bare. And the dressers are empty. And you've sold it all off just to stay alive. It does not change the fact That our God is a good and gracious God. What Jesus is driving at here is, can you see him as that even when the food is not there? And can you recognize that worry doesn't put food on the table? Worry does not put clothes on your person. Worry does not provide for the physical needs of life. In that dark hour in Gethsemane, Jesus is up to a much, much different thing. He's already eaten. He's had his full. It was a Seder meal, and it was a blowout from everything we uh, can tell in the Gospels. But now it's him and the devil, mano a mano, praying to his God that this cup would be taken from him, but... Still praying righteously that his will be done and not the son's will be done. The father's will be done and not the son's. Praying in faith, knowing that everything God ordains is good. Including the suffering and death of his one and only son. Jesus will put this to the ultimate test. We don't call it bad Friday, do we? We call it Good Friday. Looks a little bad for Jesus in it. And he is going mano a mano against the devil. And in some strange sort of way, when he bows his head and gives up the ghost, he wins the war. Game over. Devil defeated, devil routed. And if Jesus has done that for you, whatever the day, the rest of the days of your life may have in store for you, whether it be feast or famine, whether it be, um, whether it be drought or flood, whether it be life or death, you're good. You have no reason to worry. Jesus' anxiety in the garden, I believe, is just like Jesus' suffering and death. It's a once-for-all anxiety. Just like his suffering and death was a once-for-all suffering and death. So that even now, too, in those dark hours of temptation, when it's you and the devil, when it's mano a mano, you have a Jesus who went in between there, between you and him, who went under the, the bus who was run through, nailed to a cross, and who won that victory. So even in that moment, my friends, I believe Jesus' advice does apply. 
Don't be anxious. You've already won the victory. Jesus won it. Then he gave it to you and credited it to you as if you had won it yourself. Who is this man to tell us not to be anxious? He's the one who defeated sin, death, and the devil. And I think he knows what he's talking about. Don't you? God grant us the faith. In this fourth week of Lent, which has as its sub-theme joy, God grant us a joy that never lets worry douse it out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll sing the hymn. This podcast is a service of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. For more information, including location, service times, and links to other Lutheran agencies, please visit our website at www.stjohnsnp.org. That's www.stjohnsnp.org. Theme music performed by Mr. Philip Magnus.